would you all welcome with me Bishop Williams, Darnell, Dr. Darnell Keith Williams to the podium. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. I'm so glad to be here. Um, we are part of the history and legacy of this church. We are connected in the spirit to what God does here. We pray for this church. We pray for your leaders. We pray for the destiny that the Holy Spirit is working to fulfill. I want to stop and just recognize, first of all, my wife who's here with me of 28 years. Amen. It's still hard to believe that so much time has transpired. Um, the Bible says when Jacob worked for Rachel, the seven years just felt like a day. Well, I, by that math, I guess we've been together about a week. <laughs> I want to pay respect to a great man of God that we miss tremendously. And the only solace we have is the fact that we know he loved God's presence so much that he's enjoying the presence of the Lord these years. And that is the founder of New Life Assembly, which was part of the forming of this new entity called the assembly Bishop Burton Ross my father in the ministry a man whose life so impacted us that we determined to serve the Lord and try to mimic in our lives what we saw lived out in him we thank God today for his beautiful wife that's still here our mother sister Bernice Ross God bless you moms we love you Praise the Lord. To all the family that, that are here and friends we've known over the years, and to those of you that were just a new face, there's a lot of connection, history, legacy here. I want to say to my brother, my friend, Pastor Andrew. I was sitting there looking at you leading the service and my mind just began to reflect about the journey the Lord has had you on. And we celebrate you today, man. We celebrate you. I had a gathering of some pastors and I asked Pastor Andrew to come and be present and he did. And he almost broke the meeting up prophesying to everybody laying hands on folks I said what is wrong with you this is my meeting you come here just tearing the meeting up 
The people at the church that we pastor, one church lineman, love to hear your pastor preach. We bring him about once a year. So if y'all mistreat him, know he's got a place to land in Lima. Amen. But you're not going to mistreat him, are you? All right. Today I want to share with you a word that I believe is prophetically relevant to the times in which we live. When you preach for a while, you can develop the skill set necessary to minister God's word. But there's something about putting your ear to the master's breast. There's something about hearing what the Lord would say to his church. And finding and discerning and crafting and formatting that message into something that people can hear, receive, and incorporate into their lives. And I believe this message is one of those this morning. I believe this message is very important because we are in a battle for the very destiny, eternal destiny of the souls of men. If there's ever a group of people that should be passionate, that should be highly committed, that should be on fire, it's the saints of the Most High God. Because we are involved in a business that puts Walmart, JCPenney's, Ford, and any other major corporation to shame. The Lord has given us the assignment to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. To tell people how to love God with all their hearts, their souls, their minds, their strength. How to love their neighbors as themselves. And to tell them that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stain. We have something to say. I'm told as a preacher, they expect you to say something. But it's one thing to say something, it's another thing when you have something to say. Touch your neighbor and tell him, I got something to say. Amen. And I will not be silenced. I will not be sidelined. I will not be marginalized. I've got something to say. The world needs to hear what I have to say. And so we're in a very curious time. I've been pastoring now for just about 30 years. Been in ministry. Got saved when I was 16. Got called to the ministry at 19. And these are some of the most odd times I've ever experienced in my journey. As brief as it has been. People are acting out in ways that you never thought or imagined. People are making decisions that leave you scratching your head asking what were they thinking? People are responding to pressure in unhealthy and toxic ways, opening themselves up to influences that are not pushing them into the presence of God, but promoting carnality and fleshly living. 
And most of our conversation today deals with the adversities that we're dealing with. We talk about the dangers that we face, the difficulties and the obstacles of life. But today, I want to give you a little different perspective and tell you, don't just talk about your adversity. Remember your adversary. Don't just talk about the danger that you're facing. Remember that there is a demonic power, force, influence behind the danger that you feel. Don't just talk about the pressure you're under. Remember that there is a principality that's pushing the pressure down on you. Hello, somebody. Don't talk about your difficulty without talking about the devil. Don't talk about your obstacle while ignoring your opponent. Peter gives us some sober advice. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober. Be vigilant. There's a reason to be sober. Not to be intoxicated with the times that we live, the world that we live in. Be vigilant. Stay on guard. Stay on post. Why? Because your adversary your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I was in my backyard one day watching a feral cat. You know, a feral animal. It's an animal that's been domesticated, but now it's been returned back into the wild. And so their instincts to hunt get stimulated and reactivated. And I watched this cat hunt in high grass for a mouse. And I watched him, how he dropped his back and his ears folded and his head got real low to the ground. And he was careful with every step he took not to rustle the grass, not to draw attention to himself. Why? Because he recognized that if he made moves, that gave the prey indication that he was lurking, the prey would take off and run. And sadly, many of us have forgotten that there's a predator lurking in the grass. We've taken our eyes off the fact that we are, in fact, engaged in a spiritual battle that is spiritual warfare. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he says, I fight. Talk to me. I fight, not as one that beats in the air. First Timothy 6, 12, he told Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. One day a few years ago, somebody asked me, how you doing? And this scripture popped into my heart. And when it came out, I didn't even realize. I said, I'm fighting a good fight. And you know what? That relieved me of talking about how I feel. It stopped me from thinking about whatever pressure or obstacle or pain or frustration I may be dealing with in a moment in life. 
It reset my perspective and reminded me that life is not about living to enjoy myself, but life is about preparing myself for eternity. I'm in a fight. Touch your neighbor and tell him I'm in a fight. And whether you like it or not, whether you want to join in the fight, whether you want to stand and watch me fight, you in a fight too. I'm fighting the good fight. And that's my testimony now. You ask me, how you doing? I'm going to tell you, I'm fighting the fight. Because <laughs> I might be discouraged, but I'm going to keep on fighting the fight. I might be frustrated, but guess what? I'm going to keep on fighting the fight. Might be mad at somebody, even myself, but I'm going to keep on fighting the fight. Maybe tired and weary, but guess what? I'm going to keep on fighting the fight. Come on now, y'all got to talk to the brother. Come on now. I'm fighting the fight. Say that, I'm fighting the fight. I want to draw your attention. And we're going to work our way to my text. But I would do the text disservice if I don't tell you the context. If I just read you the text, the, the story will come off flat. But if I under, help you unpack and help you understand the context, you'll appreciate it when we get to our text. Are you with me? So let's go to 2 Samuel. We're going to start at 15. Then we're going to talk a little bit about 15. And then we're going to talk a little bit about 16. Then we're going to arrive at my text in 17. Amen. And all that time it's going to take to set it up. Don't worry. Your fried chicken is not going to get cold. Amen. I would surmise. That this morning I want to submit for your contemplation a moment in the life of our patriarch David where he is at his worst. I guess we would have to ask David if he would agree with my estimation of his plight. But I would say, having studied David's life, that this was probably ranks up there as one of the worst few days that he ever experienced. What has happened? In 2 Samuel 15, the Bible tells us that Absalom, David's son, has led a coup against his father. He has brought an invading army into Jerusalem. And David's advisors tell him that Absalom is getting ready to invade your kingdom. He's going to dispossess you from your throne. And if I were you, one of his advisors said, you need to flee Jerusalem now. Bible says in 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 that David left the palace and he went up to
to a familiar place, the Mount of Olives. Isn't it interesting that when we get under pressure, we love to go to familiar places. The reason this place had become familiar to David is because as a younger man, he had to flee to these same mountains and hills when Saul was chasing him. And he treated Saul with respect, honor, dignity, declaring that he would not touch the Lord's anointed. God, in his perfect timing, fulfilling what it says in Ecclesiastes, that he makes everything right in his time, David eventually gets access and, and gets the throne in the correct manner, the manner that pleased God. And now David is ascending up these hills again in his life, a much older man, now not being chased by an older potentate that is fearful because of his insecurity. But now he's fleeing because of the hunger for power of his own son and his arrogance. 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 says that David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives weeping as he went. You ever had to weep as you went? You weeping while you're going, weeping while you're moving, weeping while you got a task ahead. You ain't got time to stop and process the pain. You just got to deal with the reality of what's in front of you. Weeping as he went. And hear what it says. He was barefoot. The king of Israel ruled and reigned from the throne in Jerusalem. The man that the Bible says is the man after God's own heart finds himself now in this place of attack where he's weeping, hot tears falling upon his cheek, barefoot, with his head covered in mourning. And it says, and all the people who were with him covered their heads. And they went up weeping as they went. In other words, I can't see my leader in pain and celebrate. I can't see my leader cry and not shed my own tears. That's why the Bible tells us weep with those who weep. When you rejoice and I'll rejoice with you, but when it's time to weep, I'm going to weep with you. So we find that David that is broken and humiliated, disrespected and dishonored. And then we come to chapter 16. And while David is on the way, climbing up this mountain, the Mount of Olives, barefoot with his head covered, broken, humiliated, disrespected, dishonored, he meets a man on the way. This man's name was Ziba. And he notices Ziba has a donkey loaded down with cakes and figs and dried fruits and wine and all of this stuff. He said, where are you going? He said, well, this is for the king. He said, but where is your master? Mephibosheth. Now, if you remember, Mephibosheth 
was the son of, 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 uh, of, of David's best friend, Jonathan. And the Bible said that he was dropped when he was a child. He was lame in both his feet. And after his father died, he was a, a, a poor prince that was living in a place called Lodabar with nothing. And David finds him and fills him with favor and brings him to Jerusalem and says, you're going to eat at my table and drink of my wine and you're going to eat like one of my sons. And he almost adopts Mephibosheth as his own. You're going to sit down with me, with my son. And he assigns Ziba and his son service to Mephibosheth to help work his fields, to take care of him, to, to care for him. So he says, it, it's odd that Ziba would be here and Mephibosheth not be here. Where is your master? And he said, oh, my master's getting ready to have a party. <laughs> what is your master celebrating? Your master, my master's celebrating your downfall today. Yeah, I told you it was a pretty bad day for David. My master's celebrating your downfall. He said that perhaps the throne will come back to me. Now, where you come from, Mephibosheth, to think that the throne is going to come to you? Absalom is the one that's leading the coup, but this is the twisted nature of humanity. So while David is there talking to Ziba about Mephibosheth, he then leaves that conversation. He turns to Ziba and says, everything that Mephibosheth had that I placed you over now belongs to you. Mephibosheth could go back to Lodabar. If he's going to be dishonoring and disrespectful after all that I've done for him. So here you have a barefoot king, broken, humiliated. His son is exacting a coup this very moment. He meets Ziba. Ziba tells him about the disloyalty. Now uh, Mephibosheth said it was a bad day. But it gets even worse. As David continues, he meets a man by the name of Shimei. In 2 Samuel 15, verse, I mean 16, verse 5 to 14. And Shimei is a Benjamite. You remember that Benjamite, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So Shimei has believed a narrative that says that David took the throne from Saul illegally. So Shimei meets David in a moment, a low moment in his life, barefoot, head covered, weeping. And Shimei picks up stones and starts throwing it in David and cursing them out. <laughs> You're going to remember this next time you say, I'm having a bad day. I ain't even got to what I'm going to be preaching about. I'm just setting the text up for you. Shimei throws stones at David, starts cursing at him. In other words, he's saying, you're getting just what you deserve. I'm glad to see God brought this day of judgment upon you for what you did to my brother Saul. And Abishai is there, and Abishai says, let me kill this man. He actually calls him a dead dog. Let me, let me take care of him. I don't care if you've been driven from the throne by Absalom or not. You are still the king. You still have the anointing of God on your life. You should not be talked to or treated this way. David is so broken, so frustrated, so tired that he turns to Abishai and says, listen, leave him alone. 
I don't know, maybe God sent him here to curse me. And he said, maybe by God sending him to curse me, the Lord will have compassion and pity on me and bless me. So just leave him alone. I, in other words, I ain't even got time to deal with you. You ever have some stuff happen in the midst of stuff happening? And you're just like, you know what? I don't even have time to deal with this. I, I, can't, I don't even have the margin, the energy, the time, effort, focus to pay attention to this right now. This says in 2 Samuel 16, 15 to 19, that Absalom enters Jerusalem. And guess who's standing by his side? A man by the name of Ahithophel. Who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel was David's most trusted counselor. He was David's inner circle advisor. The Bible said that when you heard Ahithophel speak, it was like hearing the very voice of God. He was so wise, so insightful, so knowledgeable that the counsel of Ahithophel never failed. But now Ahithophel has turned his allegiance from David to Absalom. Now there's a whole dynamic that I can't even deal with this morning. I'll just tell you, and you can think about it, and maybe Wednesday is going to hit you when you drive in your car. Said that's what the pastor was talking about. Bible scholars, those that do research in the scriptures say that Ahithophel's granddaughter was a young woman by the name of Bathsheba. Now I'll just leave that with you to think too. That Ahithophel had to stand there advising David while he was exacting all this stuff against his granddaughter. That's a whole nother sermon. I ain't going to get into it. So Ahithophel turns his allegiance on to Absalom. Turns against his friend, David. And now we pick up with my text. Pastor, how much more time I got? You give me 20 minutes. Will y'all give me 20 minutes? All right, good. Because the text ain't going to make no sense if I didn't take time to do that. So now we go to 2 Samuel 17. I want you to hear this. Absalom calls Ahithophel in. He knows he's a great advisor. That when Ahithophel speaks, he speaks as the oracle of God. That his counsel never failed his father. So Absalom calls Ahithophel in. And he asks Ahithophel a question. He says, how should we go after my father? I want you to understand what's happening here. David is out on the mountains fleeing for his life. He doesn't know this conversation is going on. That his adversary, his enemy, is having a conversation plotting his downfall. And my brothers and sisters, when I read this as a pastor, I said, this is how the enemy thinks about bringing down the saints of God. That God has not just told us recorded history about an event in the life of David, but God has given us an insight into the demonic agenda of hell. Satan's strategy plan against the saints. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The anatomy of an attack. 
Say that, the anatomy of an attack. Now, anatomy talks about the structure or the makeup of something. It has become so prominent today that usually when we hear the word anatomy, we immediately think about what? The human body. Because anatomy is the study of the structure and makeup of the human body. How the things connected? Where are the organs located? What is the bone structure? That no matter whether you're tall or short, thin or fat, black or white, no matter your ethnicity, there's a point at which when you strip away our skin and go down to the structure of our makeup as human beings, it's universal. My son is a, a pre-med. Well, no, he's in med school. And I called him one day. I said, uh, what you doing? He said, I'm skinning a cadaver. I said, well, God bless you. I don't know why anybody would want to skin a cadaver. But he took the skin off with a scalpel to expose the muscles. And, and he said, this is what we study when we study anatomy. That when one muscle moves, it triggers a finger to move. And another one causes the eye to blink. And another one causes the lungs to expand and contract. And so today I want to offer for you the anatomy, the structure, the makeup of how the enemy, when he comes with an attack, will come to you. Can you say amen? amen. Moreover, verse 7, 2 Samuel 17, starting at verse 1. Do you have that text? Would you say amen? amen. It says, moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, how should I go after my father, David? How would you, great man of God, advisor to the king? Oracle of God. How would you recommend I go after David? Hear what Ahithophel says. He said, let me choose 12,000 men. I will arise and I will pursue David tonight. Can you say tonight? Come on, talk to me. Say tonight. I'm going after David when? Tonight. Not tomorrow in the day, I'm going after David in the night time. Ray Charles saying, I know the night time is the right time. He said to be with the one you love, but do you know the night time is the right time for the enemy to attack? The night has a strategic advantage when you got an enemy that you want to attack. Night gives you tactical advantage to the attacker. Night provides the cover of darkness. Night attacks can be a crushing blow. They can deliberately demoralize your enemy. Be careful, my brothers and sisters, when it's nighttime. Be careful when it's dark and you feel like you're all alone. And it seems like nobody's with you. Be careful how you conduct yourself at night. When our father Abraham went to capture Lot and to bring him back, Genesis 14, 15 says he came at night. 
When God strategically got the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says, Exodus 12, 29 and 30, that the Passover occurred at night. Oh my God, there are many saints that trip and fall at the nighttime. There are many of us that get discouraged at the nighttime, in night seasons, in, in night periods when it seems dark and we wonder will the sun ever shine again night causes gloom night causes us to, to feel hopeless God help you when you get attacked at night Isaiah asked a question God asked him a question in Isaiah 21 11 he said watchman you're the one that watch over the city prophet you're the one that looks out at the night to see what the enemy is doing. Watchman, what of the night? You know, your pastor's the one who stays up while you're sleeping. He's the one that's peering into the realm of the spirit, creating the prophetic pulse of what God wants to do, not only for this church, but within this community. And as the man of God stands here and declares the word of the Lord, I want you to understand that that word comes not for you just to celebrate and dance on, but that word is coming forth for you to have something to hold on to when it's nighttime. If you've been saved more than five minutes, you know what I'm talking about, dealing with the night. Turn your neighbor and tell them when it's night. When it's night, it's when you feel like giving up. When it's night, it's when you feel like you can't make it. When it's night, it's when we get hopeless. When it's nighttime and you want to say, I just want to quit, I'm done. Be careful what you do in the night. David didn't know that as the sun was going down, he had an enemy planning an attack on him at night. My wife and I, just a little over a year ago, Went through a night time, a night season. When we got a phone call no parent wants to have that our son had been admitted to the hospital. And when we walked in, he lives about an hour from us. And we drove down and hopped in the car and drove down. And we walked into the hospital room. And when we walked in, we heard the doctors all around his bedside asking, we don't understand how a 20-year-old is in renal failure. It was night. I didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do, didn't know how to pray. You got to be careful when it's night. And the first day, all we were getting was bad news. And the second day was bad news. And the third day was more bad news. And the fourth day was more bad news. And, and we tried to muster our strength up, but there's something about a night attack that when the devil comes at night, it just paralyzes you and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. I remember sitting down there and saying, God, I'm a husband and I'm a father and I don't know what to do. If it was a bill to pay, I would pay it. If there was a price to pay, I would, I would offer it, but there's nothing I can do and I just need somebody to pray for me. I was in the nighttime. And a friend of mine called Bishop from Buffalo, New York. He said, Bishop, the Lord just spoke to me and told me to call you and pray for you. Tell me what's going on. It was night. 
And when God began to anoint him to pray, I felt the night start to lift in my own soul. And I went to my wife and I said, we need to call for the intercessors. We need the bride to come forth from her chamber. We need the women that know how to weep before the Lord. We need the men that know how to call on the name of Jesus. And so we put out a call on social media and we said, we need the saints of God to pray. That was day nine by day 12. My son got released from the hospital. You better know how to act when it's night. Say nighttime. His anger's but for a moment, Psalm 30, verse 5 says. And his favor's for a lifetime. Let me talk to somebody for just a minute. Weeping may endure for a night. Ask your neighbor, you in the night? Let me tell you something about night. It ain't gonna always stay night. It might be a long season of night. It may feel like the darkness is settling in so thick and so deep and so black that the sun will never shine again. But here's your hope. Here is your encouragement. Weeping may endure for the night. There's a time when the night will end because the Bible says that it endures for the night, but it's joy coming in the morning. I dare somebody that's in the middle of a night struggle, night season, night time to jump on your feet and say, God, I'm expecting my joy to come. I'm expecting my joy to return. I'm expecting my joy to show up. Oh, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of drowning myself with my tears. Weeping may endure for a night, but my joy is coming in the morning. Touch somebody and tell them joy is coming. 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 Ahithophel said, I'm going to come to David when? At night. And he said, now there ain't nothing you could do about night. You just have to endure the night. Weeping may endure. You got to endure the night. But Ahithophel didn't stop there. The enemy just don't stop at night. Hear what he says. Verse 2, I will come on him when he's weary. So it's nighttime, but he's also weary. Weary, my English teacher taught me, is an adjective. In other words, it's describing how David is feeling. Tired. Exhausted. Drained, fatigued, burnout, weary. You ever felt weary? You get tired in your body. You go to sleep. You wake up in the morning. Feel good. But there's a tiredness, saints, that can get into your soul. There's a tiredness that can come to you when you get tired of dealing with people. You get tired of trying. You get tired of taking a step forward only to feel like you get knocked back three more. Your mind gets weary. Your body gets fatigued. The Bible says in Daniel 7.25 that part of the end time strategy of the devil is to wear out the saints of the Most High. He wants to wear us out. Get us tired at the night time. Tired at night. Tired at night. And when you get tired at night, what do you want to do? You just want to sleep. You just want to slumber. 
Just want to check out. Just want to say, God, I'm tired of this. I just want it all to be over. Sometimes my wife will hear something happen in the world or something will happen with somebody we know, and she say, I just want Jesus to come back. I just want Jesus. In other words, I just want this to be over. I just want it to end. I just, I just want it to stop. About eight weeks ago, my wife's sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. That's now spread to her uterus, her liver, her lymph nodes. And this may be one of two weekends out of the last eight or nine weeks she hadn't been there. Flying back and forth, running her own business, doing ministry. Guess what? You get what? She's been so busy. I told her the other day, I said, you've been so busy doing, you haven't even had time to process the fact that your sister is sick. You've been so busy getting things done that the reality of what you are actually dealing with and going through haven't even settled in your mind yet. You ever, you ever had that experience? But Ahithophel didn't stop there. I'm going to come to David at night. I'm going to come when he's weary. But then he said, I'm going to come when he's weak. Now I ask myself the question, why would Ahithophel say I'm going to come when he's weary and when he's weak? Because to me, weary and weak means the same thing. But the word in Hebrew Ahithophel uses is different. He's not talking about tired or fatigued. He's talking about weak-handed. Weak-handed. One translator translated as slack hand. And one commentator says this means David would have lost his courage. Slack of hand means your heart has disengaged. The, the, the weariness of Hithophel is talking about, the, the weak handed he's talking about is when you lose your courage, when your heart checks out, when you stop dreaming and the boldness of faith starts to diminish and you get distracted from your vision of life. David, this mighty warrior, David, the giant killer, David, who paid a dowry with 204 skins of the Philistines, David, who was celebrated by his troops and feared by his enemies. Ahithophel said, if I catch him when he's slack-handed. Not only that. Hear this, saints of God. I'm going to come at night. Talk to me. I'm going to come at when he's weary and, and weak-handed. And he shall be afraid. Can you put that text up for me? 2 Samuel 7 verse 2. And he shall be afraid. 17 verse 2. I will come upon him when he's weary and weak. And I will make him what? Afraid. I want you to hear this. This is important for you as a local church body to hear this. Ahithophel says... If I can get David at night while he's weary and weak-handed and the result of those things happening will be he will become what? Afraid. And when the people that are following him see fear in his eyes 
because of the night attack, the weariness of his body, the slackness of his hand, when, when he becomes afraid and they see fear in his eyes, the people who are with him are going to scatter. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Ahithophel said, if I can get the leader to become afraid, if I can get the leader to withdraw, if I can get the leader to become afraid, to become fearful, to feel overwhelmed, to feel hopeless. And all that we got to do is let the people that are with him see it in his eyes. They're going to flee. And here I'm going to get your father. I'll walk right up to him by myself with a sword in my hand, stab him right in the heart and take him down for you. Saints of God, let me give you a word of encouragement. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the servants of God. Pray that the Lord keep them. Pray that the Lord favor him. Pray that the Lord strengthen him. Pray that the Lord will watch over him. Pray that the Lord in the seasons of the night, he won't get weary and slack hand. That his heart won't become fearful and afraid. Ahithophel said, if I get the king alone, I'll bring him down. This ain't rocket science. There's a, there's a structure. There's a makeup. Can the musicians come and join me? There is a, there is a pattern to this attack. I just get him at night while he's weary, weak-handed, full of fear, and he's left alone. Now let me tell you, let me shift and tell you, don't do life alone. I don't care how strong you think you are, how mighty you are, how great of an intercessor, how powerful of a prayer warrior. I don't care how long you've been saved. Don't do life alone. Because when you do it alone, you become vulnerable prey to the enemy. All of us have seen those uh, nature channels and, and specials where the pack of animals, the, the, the herd will be together, but the predator just wants the one that's separated and alone. <clears throat> he wants that one <clears throat> that isolates himself. That one that pulls himself away from the pack. And my brothers and sisters, when you're alone, you become easy Pray to the enemy. Paul had Silas that prayed with him in prison at midnight. David had Jonathan, his soul brother, that stood with him. And over and over and over again, we read of people in the scripture that refused to do life alone. I want us to stand together. And I want to pray. And I'm going to read a final text of scripture to you. 
which is Psalm 3. David does not know that this conversation is happening. It's totally out of his view. He is up in the mountains called Olives. But nighttime came. And David had a choice to make. I'm either going to stay up and worry I'm going to trust God and sleep. And David went to bed that night and woke up the next morning and he wrote a song that gives God praise for keeping him through that night. And it's Psalm 3. And I want to read it to you. And as I'm reading this psalm, if you're here and this message touched your heart in any way and you say, Pastor, I need somebody to pray for me. It's nighttime. You might be in the midst of a storm. It's nighttime. You might be dealing with a diagnosis. It's nighttime. Drama may be happening in a relationship. Nighttime. The enemy may be fighting you in your finances. Nighttime. Maybe you hear you feel weary. Maybe your hands are getting slack. The Bible says that one of David's mighty men protected his field of lentils one night and he gripped the sword so tight that his hands locked up and spasm. He couldn't let the sword go. And today we're going to pray for you that the Lord strengthen your hands. That you don't let the sword go, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Maybe you're afraid. Afraid of what will happen. Afraid of what might happen. Afraid. You know what? I've lived long enough to know most of what I've worried about never happens anyway. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I just feel alone. I feel like I'm in this fight by myself. And nothing would mean more to you than have a brother or sister just come alongside of you and lay hands on you and pray for you and give you a moment of safety where you can relax and just be ministered to. Hear what the king of Israel, who demonstrated his unfailing confidence in the God that he served, wrote in Psalm 3, the next morning after the night he endured that I just explained to you. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they who say of my soul there's no hope for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, hey, Rabo you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me. I come this morning to tell you the Lord's got you. I come to tell you this morning, you're not in the night alone. 
I come to tell you this morning, God's got your back. The Lord will be a shield for you. He will be a protector to you. Plot, scheme, plan, strategize my downfall all you want. God's got me. Grab somebody and tell them God's got me. You, oh Lord, are a shield for me. You, my glory, and the lifter of my head. He said, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me from his holy hill. He said, I laid down and I slept. And I woke up. And the Lord sustained me. Lift your hands right now and receive supernatural sustaining from the Lord. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, come right now. We're going to pray. Come right now. The Lord is selling you. I'm a shield for you. I'm your glory. I'm the lifter of your head. I will sustain you. David said, I will not be afraid. Ahithophel said, if I can get him to be afraid. But David woke up the next morning and said, I will not be afraid. Though ten thousands of people have set themselves against me. Hear what he says in verse 7. Arise, O Lord, and save me. Arise, O Lord, and save me. My God, for you have smitten all my enemies upon the cheek. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. And the blessing of the Lord is upon his people. My God, my God, my God. The Lord hasn't forsaken you in the nighttime. He's got your back. I can boldly say that the Lord will be your helper. Do not fear what men can do to you. Hallelujah. They might be plotting, scheming, and planning your downfall, but God's got your back. The Lord is your rewarder. The Lord is your sustainer. The Lord is the one that's going to keep you. The Lord is the one that's going to prove himself faithful to you. Hallelujah. If you need prayer this morning, come. We're going to pray for you. We're going to watch the Lord work on your behalf. We're going to watch the Lord move mountains. We're going to watch the Lord make crooked paths with straight. We're going to watch the Lord bring down high mountains and exalt low valleys. We're going to watch the Lord make every rough place plain. We're going to watch the Lord make a way where there seems to be no way. God got you. He's got you. By your hand. He's got you. Just like he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's got you. The fire may be hot, but you're not in it alone. Just like he had Daniel in that lion's den, he's got you. Just like he had Peter in that Philippian jail, he's got you. Hallelujah. This is a moment of breakthrough. 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 Come, wife. This is a moment of breakthrough. This is a moment of breakthrough. This is a moment of breakthrough. This is a moment of change for you. This is a moment where God is going to alter the reality. God is going to turn the situation. God is going to make a way. 
God is going to prove himself faithful. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Whatever he promised, he shall perform.